the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, surely it is. Backbone Radio, Matt Dunn here, Blake Gallagher behind the glass, and guess what? It's Labor Day weekend. The long weekend, but here we are a-working. Just working away. In the radio coal mines, because it doesn't really feel like work now, does it? Not to me, not to Blake. And if you're out there and you got your grill on... You're out there on a boat or some such, maybe you could have us on in the background and and just let us entertain you a little bit these next three hours, 4 to 7 p.m., where what's cool is putting America first, <laughs> like most every American wants to do, put their own country first, in spite of having elites that want to put it last. That's just one of our week-in, week-out themes, and we count the ways that the elites put us last, but we have the corrective of putting us first. Driving over here, I got caught in boat traffic a little bit, tell you. All these boats on the road, having fun on Labor Day. Some of these big uh, boats on trailers with all kinds of gadgets sticking up off of them and off the sides. And they just drive a little slowly, you know, when they're being pulled. So I kind of just sat down, <laughs> just sat down here being in boat traffic. And that makes me think about RIP to Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, we lost an American icon, an American legend either yesterday or the day before at age uh, 76, Jimmy Buffett has passed away. I thought maybe in hour one, we would just talk a bit about Buffett and Buffettology, not the investment uh, Buffett. That's another Buffett. A little less of a partier, a little less of a boat guy is Warren Buffett. But Jimmy Buffett and I'll tell you, when I was a high school kid as a concert usher working over at Fiddler's Green, I don't know what it's called now. It's called something else. I can't keep track of all the names. Whenever they change the names on a stadium or a venue or whatever, I guess I know what the changes are, but I prefer to stick with the first one because I like it better. That's just where I think things belong. For example, Mile High Stadium. But I ushered three days in a row of Jimmy Buffett concerts one year when I was in high school, and I thought I might share my impressions of having been exposed to three full days of Buffett in all of the what you call parrot heads hanging out there at Fiddler's Green, wearing their Hawaiian shirts and their flip-flops and their, do you call them cargo shorts or what do you call those things? At any rate, I've got thoughts on that. And... I could get philosophical because I was thinking about this when I was stuck in boat traffic just now about the philosophy of escapism. And Jimmy Buffett is on record saying that, hey, my music's just escapism, pure and simple, innocent escapism. And I was kind of thinking about that. Um, 
Should we want to escape? Is that healthy to want to be escaping from where we are right now, to be escaping from our present moment, our present conditions? And I don't know. I mean, I think it's innocent. We all, it's part of human nature, too, to want to escape. But can it be overdone? Can it become a little bit excessive to want to always be somewhere else other than where you happen to be? Anyway, these are the, the philosophical thoughts that Host Dunn has, sitting there behind a bunch of boats trying to slug their way down the road, being pulled. They weren't like floating down the road, you know what I mean? Speaking of the road, Ron DeSantis, in my opinion, his campaign has gone past the end of the road. And what is beneath them? I mean, there is no more asphalt beneath them, but there's a lot of open air and gravity. You think about that. Remember that movie Thelma and Louise where they drive the car off the cliff? I do think that's where DeSantis is right now, and I might explain the reasons why. There's been some revelations. The pack is shut down, and the campaign manager for DeSantis, Jeff Rowe, is sending urgent messages. We need $50 million right now. He didn't know he was on the record. He thought he was off the record, but it's it's not pretty. And I still I thought I might just ask around uh, any... Any callers, any any texters to studio may be thinking that DeSantis still has a shot or that DeSantis would be better against Biden in 2024. Still, I don't think it's going to be Biden. It's going to be somebody else. But, you know, I just wonder if there is a case to be made for DeSantis. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm in the Trump camp and have been been clear about that. And I advised DeSantis not to run. I said, don't do this. Don't destroy your political career. But did he listen? Did he listen to Backbone? No, he went out and destroyed his political career. He surely did. But I, I, I have a lot of friends who are DeSantis people, and it's very respectful and cordial conversations. So if there's a remnant DeSantis individual or two, feel free to do touch base. 303-696-1971. And, oh, we've got, I think, one of the essays. Sometimes I do more extended form essays where I dial in a little deeper on a topic. And that might be, oh, hour two, hour three, whenever we get around to it, about the imminent collision. And that would be the collision between Donald Trump and the American deep state, the ruling class. And the trajectory I've been describing, you know, first they lie about him, then they hoax about him, they make up scandals about him, Russia, Russia hoax, then they indict him or uh, impeach him twice on complete bogus rationales. And then, you know, now they're indicting him, arresting him, doing all that stuff. I mean, the deep state has decided they cannot live with Trump as president again. And so you've got these two immovable objects moving towards one another. And what shall be the result of that, ladies and gentlemen? I've got a lot of details to explore in that, and I think it's a fascinating topic. Tucker Carlson is thinking along those lines as well. What is that collision going to look like? And like I talked about last week a bit, are we on the path to assassination? It's got to be it's got to be spoken about openly. I mean, follow the trajectory, look at the history. And what is the deep state going to do next? By the way, with DeSantis' support collapsing, 
says the New York Post, even owned by Rupert Murdoch. Murdochs are very sad, sad face Murdochs. And um, I always like the quote from Steve Bannon to describe the Murdochs as being scumbag foreigners. Those scumbag foreigners that own Fox News, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, a bunch of other stuff. But they're very sad because they, boy, they tried to get DeSantis. Oh, they tried so hard. But now, where do they go next? I think they looked around at a few other potentials. They've been trying to get Glenn Youngkin to run. He's like, no, I'm not going to go ruin my political career, at least not yet. But maybe they'll talk him into it at some point. But Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you're seeing a little boomlet, a little... Frank Luntz tweeting about how great Nikki Haley did in the debate. You know, Nikki Haley. Hmm. Who's excited out there about Nikki? Just hoping to tap the pulse out there, see if there's any major Nikki Haley supporters lurking around thinking, that's going to do it. That's going to get the GOP rhino establishment over the top in the primary. I think it's a non-starter. She's a warmonger, the rest of it. Um, and she's been in the shadows for so long. She's been down at 1%, 2% for so long and without much media attention that I don't think – I think I think her star kind of kind of went out a couple years ago, frankly, when people kind of realized, eh, meh, yeah, all right. Anyway, so might just ask that question. Seen this? A bunch of rappers, big-time rappers, have been endorsing Donald Trump since the indictments. <laughs> Another Murdoch New York Post story. I might go through some of that list. And I might actually point out that there's a bunch of voters that are Trump or bust voters. And pollster, oh, uh, drawing a blank on his name, is saying that 20, 30-plus percent of Republican voters are Trump or bust voters. So if Trump is not on the ticket... They're not going to vote. They're going to check out. And that must be discussed. I mean, looks like it's going to have to only be Trump if the GOP wants a chance to win anything. I don't know, sings Jimmy Buffett on the Volcano song here. One of his, what he calls the Big Eight, or is it the Big Twelve? He would play the Big Twelve at his show's. And we did lose Jimmy Buffett, yes, at the age of 76. You have to say he's an American icon. Would you say American legend? I'd say yes, American legend. Guy became a billionaire, believe it or not, one of the first musicians out there to become a billionaire. And you can't help but just like the guy got to like Jimmy Buffett, and he's just kind of the laid-back, relaxed vibe, the escapist vibe. And we'll play a few a few Buffett songs in this hour, and we'll go to some phone lines. Any parrot heads out there want to check in, do some Buffettology, talk about their experiences at Buffett shows or just what they think of Jimmy Buffett? And I just will make a full confession after I ushered three days in a row of the Jimmy Buffett shows when I was a high school kid, and it was over there at Fiddler's Green right here in Denver Metro, I uh, really didn't want to listen to more Buffett <laughs> for about the next 20 years, maybe 25 years. I I sort of got my fill that long weekend, and I'm not trying to be critical of Buffett, but, I mean, that was a lot of Buffett um, in that 
small compressed time frame. And I, when I saw that Jimmy Buffett had passed away, there I am driving around in the car. I'm playing the essential Buffett from the iTunes playlist. And so many of those songs, they came back, and I just I hadn't heard them in so long. I was like, you know what? This is fun. I like, this is good. Buffett. Yeah. I'm back into Buffett now. I'm back. I'm back with the guy. And you have to say, and maybe this is a thought I was having, some of those songs, they do have a kind of an innocence. They have a kind of a, a happiness to them that you kind of just think it was a different America. It was a different America back when Buffett was rolling on along, and and I do miss that America. Am I becoming a a bit of a a bit of the nostalgic sort in life? I don't know, but I think it was. It was better. It was better then, and you know, and you can be critical of Buffett back then, but now you can look back and say, man, that was an American. He was American. And I don't know where we are now. But I've got a bunch more things to say about Buffett. But let's let's say hello to Rick, Rick the Marathon Man. And Rick, how are you, good sir? Great man, how are you? Doing well. Happy Labor Day weekend yeah. to you. Come Monday, Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Come Joe. Monday, you bet. That's coming up. Sneak Great preview. Time. We'll have that. That Great is a time. good one. Hey, listen, you were an usher when I was at the concert at Fiddler's. No kidding. I might have I'm put sure you in your seat. You're probably what? in the front row, right? Do you remember what year? I don't remember what year. It might have been 88, 89, something like that. <laughs> uh, so. I, yeah, I'm not kidding. Absolutely. Okay. I, I'm not a parrot head, but I, I've been to many concerts in my life, and there was no more drunk, pot-smoking concerts than a Jimmy Buffett, believe me. Total escapism, Yeah. Yeah, and ba- that was back when it was like uh, illegal to do some of that stuff. But it seems to have never applied at concerts, right? Uh, uh, you know, there would be a losing battle to enforce <laughs> that particular law <laughs> yes. at a concert. <laughs> I, but did you but, have your flip flops and your uh, flower shirt and the rest uh, of it? The, the flower, a pair of shirt, but that was it. I had to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, okay. But uh, you know, it, you're right. It, to me, it was America, innocent fun. Uh, it was very, I love the word for uh, to apply here, Americana. Yeah, Americana. Those songs, you know, and he got popular apparently in the Midwest, and he always attributed his uh, his popularity getting off the ground to playing around Ohio. That somehow exactly. in Ohio they really got into Buffett and talking about, hey, being out on the ocean, man, and yeah. that kind of stuff, and it it sent him to the top. Um, he mentioned Cincinnati in one of his songs. Yeah, and uh, I think it's yeah, Cincinnati is kind of where that area is where he he really grew his fan base and it it spread. I think a lot of parrot heads running around Ohio. <laughs> yeah, the, the sharks that live on the land. Exactly, and thinking about you know being somewhere else. Um, do, you, it, it, do you do you remember that you know his shows? I mean, the audience in the palm of his hand, right? And everybody dresses a certain way. That's one thing I noticed as an usher. You know, a different band comes in, and people all, like, sort of dress up a whole different way for every show. It's like a whole different planet of people come in in for for different shows. You know, these were the Parrot Heads. And I I didn't really know anything about it, but, you know, here they were. And they were having a good time. Right, right, yeah. Island escapism is what what he called it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I go quick? 
quick political for a second? Oh, you bet. Your last statement before the break, I have been saying this to people for two months. Do they realize, do the rhino, does everyone, honest, Trump's not on the ballot. The Republicans will have the most crushing defeat of all time in the House, Senate, everywhere. They, Trump people will not show up, I can guarantee it. That is a fact, Rick. The, Boy, they, the Trump or bust oh. vote. And, oh. you know, my estimation is that the political elites do know that, that the Republican ruling class types do know that. Um, but that doesn't stop them from what they, it's like they really honestly, in my opinion, don't care if they win or not. Right. They would rather lose if Trump was the nominee and have a Biden or, you know, someone else be the president. I think that'd be better for them. Because they want to control the Republican Party, and, you know, Trump's the threat to control the party. Right. But um, Richard Barris, the pollster that runs the big data poll, he says that um, probably around 30% of Republican voters are in the Trump or bust category. I Only think Trump. More. I think it's more than that. And, and, see, I do, too. I think it's higher than that. Yes. I think Barris is a little bit low-balling it there. My I, bet is it's, you know, it's probably maybe even around half. Would be yeah. just my hunch. I don't. I can't base that on anything. But let's just say at a minimum it's thirty percent. Could you imagine the Republican Party going into the twenty twenty four election? Trump's not on the ballot because he's sitting in a jail somewhere in Georgia or wherever. Uh, oh. And uh, so the Democrat wins by uh, the greatest landslide. Like they they win by Saddam Hussein type margins. You know. Right. <laughs> so. You know, if, but they, uh, that's, I think that's actually the plan. It makes you wonder, like, DeSantis should have dropped out a while ago, but he's still oh, in there. Yeah. I got to pat myself on the back. I, DeSantis, I said this months ago, I, I never saw him doing anything, anything. He did everything wrong. Wouldn't oh, you he, say? Did, can you think of anything he did right? Uh, it's kind of like how Biden's running the country. It, it, everything is bad. Just everything is a mistake. You know, you would think he'd get lucky in one aspect or another, but uh, he can't. <laughs> Not even once. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, I thought he might have a little something, but he had zero. zero. I mean, you know, even back in the day, in 2016, I would see the occasional Jeb Bush for president sticker, and I'd start laughing. I don't. And by the way, as I travel, the only signs, flags I see on the road are Trump 2024, bar none. That's all I see. And you're on the road a lot with your Absolutely. marathon schedule. Are you in town right now, or are you out and yep. about? Okay. Oh, no. I'm here right now. Okay, right on. And I'd keep going, but here comes the wall yeah, looking yeah. at us. But uh, okay. All right, Rick. And I, I hope I did a good job as the usher. Back at the Buffett show, but let's talk soon. Margaritaville. And yes, I know it's my own damn fault. That song concludes, and you can't help but like the the gentleness of it, the relaxed nature of it, the non-judgmental aspects of it, throwing a little gentle self-blame on himself in a lot of his songs, and you know, just kind of laid back, you know, Jimmy Buffett out there on the ocean. And he does glorify beverages, shall we say. 
And, you know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Listen to that tune by Alan Jackson, which Jimmy Buffett does a cameo. Um, Margaritaville, obviously that's the huge one. Come Monday, I didn't know this, but Jimmy Buffett was apparently close with Jim Croce. I love Jim Croce, that guy who died in a plane crash, I believe, in about 73, 74 we play his tunes around here, Croce, but come Monday, that's kind of a... Well, I think we'll do that one next for the bumper music. Cheeseburger in Paradise. That's a fun one. Somehow that one caught on. Kind of sounds like a kid song to me with all my little kids. I was playing that last night. Yes, personal vignette. I, After the daughter's soccer game, I grabbed a bunch of cheeseburgers for everybody at In-N-Out, of course. That's kind of the place that's in my opinion, kind of cool. Brought them all back, and we, we all listened to Cheeseburger in Paradise. Kids had never heard it, but they thought, hey, who, I like this song. <laughs> so Cheeseburger in the backyard on Labor Day weekend, listening to Buffett. Changes in latitude, changes in attitudes. Maybe I'll bring some of these out. But Buffett described his, uh, I think this is a pithy statement about his style, quote, it's pure escapism, is all it is. I'm not the first one to do it, nor shall I probably be the last. But I think it's really a part of the human condition that you've got to have some fun. You've got to get away from whatever you do to make a living or other parts of life that stress you out. I try to make it at least 50-50 fun to work, and so far it's worked out, says Jimmy Buffett. Yes, the uh, billionaire. <laughs> billionaire. Buffett, who's done really well, and he's got that Margaritaville franchise, and people go in there, I guess, and escape, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not being negative on escapism. I mean, there's a place for that, right? But um, and you, country music, that's, Jimmy Buffett is classified as in the country music genre over at Apple, and that, to me, is not quite accurate. But a lot of country music songs, you've, you've heard the songs by Zach Brown and Kenny Chesney and even my cousin Claire Dunn that do kind of have the Buffett genre aspect to them of, you know, somebody from the heartland, the United States of America goes down to the Caribbean or goes down to a resort in Mexico or somewhere and, you know, is just kind of escaping, having a good time. And that genre somehow, anyway, they're saying it's country, but... Um, you can also say it's rock, folk, calypso, pop. There's a term for it that his music, Buffett's music, has been described as, as Gulf and Western, G-U-L-F. Gulf and Western, <laughs> which I, I, maybe we'll just call it that, Gulf and Western. He's got kind of his own, his own genre that he's created. Anyway, he was born on Christmas Day, 1946. Buffett's grandfather, James Delaney Buffett, was a steamship captain from Newfoundland. His father was a marine engineer and also sailor, and of course that created Buffett's fascination with the ocean that he uh, wrote so many songs about, and some of his lyrics are really pretty darn good, the Buffett stuff. But once again, I'm saying this as somebody who I really didn't want to listen to Buffett uh, for a couple of decades after you know having my three-day... Usher experience at Fiddler's Green, you know, had the high school job. That was kind of fun, a lot of fun. Got to see so many bands that way. And But one thing I will say about that concert, and again, 
he had the crowd in the palm of his hand. The parrot heads were just having such a good time. I've never seen more flip-flops in one place ever before or since those three days at the Buffett shows. And the flowery shirts. What do you call those shirts, the flower shirts, Hawaiian shirts? I don't know what you call them. I actually don't own one. Personal confession, I don't own one of those shirts. They just don't quite suit my own personal sense of style. Anyway, again, I'm not being negative. I'm <laughs> just having, having fun. But one thing I will say, and I don't know what you think of this, Blake, but you know how you can see a couple shows in a row of a certain performer. They come in, they'll play three in a row, some of the big acts. I know Garth Brooks came to Denver and did nine in a row one time. I didn't make it to those. But Buffett did the exact same show the three days in a row. It was exactly the same, almost to the second, to the millisecond. He had the same comments between songs, the same jokes, you know, the same intros. And that was my main impression that I came away with, is that Buffett really had it dialed in precision Everything that was going on up there on that stage, he was acting so laid back and so mellow. But man, that was a tight script. Does that make sense? Oh, and yeah. it, it, it just, I remember thinking, and this kind of came because the Beach Boys had just played three nights in a row, and I had ushered the Beach Boys, and they were different every single night. Every single Beach Boys show was a completely different show with a whole different song set. And whole different crowd interactions. And Mike Love, the rest of them were just bantering with the crowd. And that was similar environment. I think there were a lot of flip-flops there, too. It was not quite parrot-head level flip-flops, but, you know. And I thought, boy, the Beach Boys, man, those are real, real musicians, real professionals. Those people are amazing. And Buffett, you know, he just, you know, he was really tight and... And you could kind of stamp it out, right? And anyway, that as a high school kid, you know, you kind of think when people are up on stage, they're just being spontaneous. They, you know, they don't have it all planned out, maybe like the Beach Boys were. But no, Buffett, maybe, see, maybe that's how Buffett becomes the billionaire, is that he's got that really organized mind. And I had a, uh, I had a text to studio. And again, I'm only praising Buffett. I mean, what an American legend. And I, I, you know, you like his music. It's just fun. Fun. There's a place for fun, right? Don't got to be serious all the time, right, Blake? Right. Right. <laughs> Especially on Labor Day weekend. But um, fellow checks in, uh, used to run security. Uh, he does run security at Red Rocks and says Buffett puts on an amazing show. And he did mention a few things. He said, don't mention that. That's why I won't. Um, but about, you know, how disciplined Buffett is, you know, and I'll just say that you don't, you don't go back and do hit, check out his sound checks. Okay. That's discipline, but, um, great talent says this individual and have a bunch of Buffett text, the studio popping in here, which, uh, here's another one. Uh, Buffett was, uh, oh, he says this Buffett was one of the first performers demanding proof of vaccine or negative test before you could attend his concerts. Doesn't sound very laid back. Yeah, you know, I guess he was one of those. And apparently he was a big Hillary supporter in 2016. I don't want to inject politics into it. I always try to separate the politics of the musician because they're all 
cornball, low IQ leftist when it comes to politics. I mean, just the, it's just the way it is. Except John Lennon was actually a closet conservative. I'm telling you, Blake, that guy was a right winger, John Lennon. John, he didn't like to pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't into the tax man. That was a Harrison song, but it applied to Lennon as well. Anyway, so that that those are just some of the observations I had about Buffett. And the one little philosophical thing I would throw out there would be that uh, on escapism, and Buffett says, you know, it's part of the human condition to want to have a certain level of escapism. Yeah, and I agree with that. But I just wonder if the better goal is to be present and here in every present moment of our lives. And I, that maybe sounds a little puritanical, but it's actually kind of, I don't know, maybe a theological concept. You see the Zen Buddhists talk about a lot, and you see some of the, the Christian desert fathers talk about as being present, being here, being aware in your present condition, in your present surroundings, the people around you at present. And yeah, you can look around you where you are, and everything's like all wrong. There's all kinds of bad things going on. There's all kinds of suffering, and you see this negative stuff. But maybe... I don't know. Should we be trying to escape all that? Or should we be just accepting it in some ways and living through it and trying to overcome it? I mean, to overcome it, maybe you have to accept it and be there. There you go. Come Monday, one of the Jimmy Buffett anthem songs. And I say it's influenced by his association with Jim Croce, the great folk singer songwriter from the early 70s, taken from us too soon. And did you hear that opening line just now to come Monday? And I just had a texter to studio send this in during the break, anticipating our bumper song. And now let's have the volume. Says, Matt, a little irony. Jimmy passed on Labor Day weekend. The song Come Monday starts out headed to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. So, yeah, Labor Day weekend show. That's how Come Monday starts out. And he's wearing hush puppies. I don't know, Blake. You ever wear hush puppies around? That's that's another one I've missed. The flower shirts and the hush puppies, that's I'm not your guy for that. But maybe Blake, that's that's more your style, right? Yes. Every day I wear that. Every day? Every single day. <laughs> not today, but every day I've Every day except one. today. <laughs> Yep, pretty much. And you're such a music man, Blake. Could you give your 30-second, 10-second brief opinion on where you stand with Buffett? Is this uh, Where do you stand with the music of Jimmy Buffett, with yeah. the uh, Gulf Western genre? Yeah, sure. Uh, good old Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I like his songs. I didn't really uh, – I don't have any of his albums, and I. he always has so much discography. Anytime you go to a vinyl store or a – CD store, he'll always have so much, so many albums there that you can choose. Yep. To. And maybe that's why I skip over <laughs> that, just because it's a little intimidating, you know. The sheer magnitude of Buffett's relaxed output. Yes. Kind of like uh, Elvis or Dylan, you know. There's right. It's hard just... to know where you start. Yeah. And yeah, so well. uh, I'd say he's he's well established and he's definitely a legend. But for me, I haven't really gotten into him yet. You haven't hit the full phase yet. No, I do love island music too. Like, there's some really cool psychedelic island music out there. Yeah, and uh, 
I guess um, more like reggae kind of stuff and yeah. you know that genre. Yeah, the way and you see Buffett put on kind of a reggae accent and some of his, uh, his you know he says mon, <laughs> you know that's uh, working on my ton. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's but thanks for the uh, erudite um, and dense summary from Blake there. And yeah, I think he went country. Uh, a bit later on with uh, the Alan Jacks. Maybe I'll get to that. Maybe I'll save some of these to play during the next hours. But we've got Jack in Wyoming checking in. And Jack, I doubt you're a parrot head. I just doubt it, but I could be wrong. Welcome. You got that. I've never heard that before. But what I wanted to call you about is on top of all the rest of your intellect that I so greatly admire, I just wanted to let you know that your appreciation of music is something that I think all intelligent people have. And uh, I, I really do enjoy that you're so uh, involved in music. But this will shock you a little bit. And, of course, it always goes back to me, as always. But back in 1958, <laughs> back in 1958, I had a friend named Ray. And I can't remember his last name right now. And I was all of 15 years old. And we could get on the train and, and ride for, like, you know, less than 20 minutes and be to 125th Street and Lenox Avenue in Harlem. And we would go down to the Apollo Theater, Ray and I would. And we would go to, I think they call it the matinee. It's the first show of the day. And, you know, you come out and the sun's still out. And we wouldn't go late at night when people were drinking. But we would walk into the Apollo, and we would be the only two white faces in the whole building. And when we'd first walk walk in, there'd be a couple of people would stare at us, you know. And then after that, everything was okay. But when we went there, they would have an opener who was a comedian. His name was Nipsey Russell. I don't know if anybody's I know, ever heard I know of that. that. I've seen him uh, on TV, uh, you know, when I was a kid. I remember that. Seemed well, like always this, funny, uh, funny, engaging, warm guy. Interesting name, though, a, Nipsey. Hmm. Yeah, it was a great show. I mean, I wouldn't go to anything other than the daytime show. I wouldn't go at the last show, believe me. But he, but I can remember uh, that was when James Brown, I mean, he, he was at those shows. That's when he still got fired up. You remember how wild James Brown was? Yeah, get up off of that thing, James Brown. And, uh, and there, and we didn't, we missed it. But in that same time frame, hot pants, buddy, hot, hot pants. That's my favorite Jim Brown song. Just you know, hot pants. You know yeah, that one? That no, I, I don't. I oh, don't remember you can't, that. Smoking the hot pants. You can't beat it, Jack. I won't. I, I won't try I and sing it. Just so you know, I can't even remember my friend Ray's last name. We're talking 1958. <laughs> I mean, he's 15 years older. Yeah, but. Uh, Buddy Holly was actually invited with his all-white band to play there at about that same time. And we didn't catch that show. But that show was on the Internet, and it, 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 tore, every, it tore them all up. But Interesting. The, you know, but the, the crickets. You know, it, I, yes. Buddy. It, it's, but, the, the, but the Apollo Theater, it's, it's a fabulous history of music. And, and like I say, Ray and I would go there, and then after we'd come out, we'd go to an Italian restaurant. We'd have the best music. We would have the best food the world has to offer, and we were 15 years old, and our parents didn't even know we were in Harlem. You know, you I mean, know being raised in New York City before you found your way to Wyoming. But Jack, you're, uh, you're dodging the question. You got to. Where do you come down on Buffett, man? I, uh, I'm not that familiar with Buffett. I've just been hearing this stuff recently since he passed away, and, and, okay. and it's all good stuff. And I remember the songs. And and I've never been much of a country western guy, to be frank with you. And I don't I don't listen. I, I have absolutely no affinity for rap whatsoever. 
But I mean, I do enjoy so many of the artists. But you see, my I was taught at a very young age to to admire magnificence wherever it's found. Yeah. You know? And if it's found in Harlem, so be it. You know, I mean, and I just, you know, that's where I'm at with it. Well, right on. Right on. And yeah, Buffett, uh, you know, American legend. And that's American music. And I think we're losing a lot of American legends. And we lose them when we kind of sit back and realize, huh, you know, uh, how do we like America now in some ways? You know what I'm saying? It's, well, I feel like we're losing some of the icons that we always took for granted and built this place, you know, and, and made it kind of part of what it means to be an American. You'd have to say Buffett's one of them on whatever level. Yeah, you would. Yeah. You would. You would. And uh, But, I mean, you don't want me to get long-winded on it. But we're at a very interesting time in history. We're at the very end of the uh, the very last hurrah of a 120-year attempt to turn this country into a communist country, and it's crumbling right now, right in front of our eyes. Meaning the but attempt they, to to make us communists. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly, oh man, that's we exactly. we gotta win this one, Jack. Well, no, yeah, but that's, we, we, we gotta I've, win this one. Historically, I have watched this. I have tracked it, all the efforts they've done to do it and how they poisoned all the colleges and the universities and how they've taken the useful idiots, as my used-to-be friend Peter used to call it. Now he's one of them. But anyway, uh, and that's what they've turned them all into. They've got these universities, turned all these people into useful idiots is what they've done. And that's, how it's, that's really how they've gotten to this point. But it's it's about it's blowing up in their face right now. Thank goodness. It's backfiring, and that mugshot sure. of Trump's sure. is like the coolest mugshot ever. Yeah, and um, he's raised have, countless millions no, off of that. I think ten million was the last I saw. It was seven last week when have, I did the show. They have no inclination of how smart that man is, and he is going to go down in the history books. I think above Thomas Jefferson is the most important American that ever lived. And I mean that's you know that's my concern. Well, think about opinion. that. Take it for what the it's continuity worth. of the republic, and yes. if if Trump could get in there and vanquish that corrupt communist deep state bunch of insidious people, boy, I mean we will ever owe that man a debt of gratitude that would be hard to repay, and that's why I mean that that's the stakes. That's the stakes, Jack. So. But thanks for you got it. Thanks for touching base, my good sir, from New York to Wyoming. That's that's Jack, who a music man also. But uh, hey, hour one concluding. Let's come back with hour two next. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 